Welcome to the Foyne Jones Show Survival Special. In this mini-series of my podcast, I'll be talking to the industry's most charismatic leaders about the impact coronavirus has had on their daily trading. We will discuss their battle plans to fight back and share advice and guidance on how we can stay positive and optimistic in the most trying of times. Okay, welcome to the next episode of my podcast, The Foyne Jones Show. It's part of the Survival Specials, but... It's having a podcast and reaching out on social media that sometimes gives you really unique opportunities. For the uh, for the regular listeners, you'll remember in season two, I went for a drink with a gentleman called Jimmy Carter, the uh, first Asian to play in the Premier League. Um, that drink lasted more than an hour. It lasted most of the afternoon and into the evening. And it ended up as a two-part podcast of Jimmy's playing career and what he's doing after career. We're back in the football world today and it's perfectly timed with the restart of the Premier League and, for me, the restart of the Championship. I'm joined by Keith Hackett. Keith Hackett is, for people growing up in the 70s, 80s and even that early Premier League era, and if you're a football fan, you might well have shouted abuse at Keith from the side of the pitch because he's one of the uh, most respected and well-known football referees. Keith Hackett, welcome to the podcast. It's so good having you on, sir. Uh, delighted to be on, Peter. Delighted to be on. It's brilliant. I mean, before we started recording, we were sharing some stories about Fulham. We were sharing mm. some stories about, you know, what you've been up to after refereeing. But, you know, you were one of the main referees of that era. And some of the, some of the achievements you did were, were, were phenomenal, Keith. But, you know, from yourself now, you know, doing what you're doing, can, can we just can I just ask how's the how's the crisis affected you and your family? Are you, are you coping okay? You fit, you're healthy. Yeah, I've I've coped. We've coped really well. Um, the fact is that I'm I'm over that seventy year age group, so I've had to stay indoors. The garden's looking pretty pristine, and uh, thanks to uh, the internet and podcasts and social media generally. I think it's kept us all sane. I think um, I've picked up some friends now uh, in other countries because they come on and ask questions about refereeing and away we go. I'm, I'm always enthusiastic that way. So in one way, it's been damaging uh, in terms of the visits I make and the talks that I give, various other things. But in another, it's it's allowed me to get a little bit better on social media. I've always been good at IT. But now I'm I'm picking up the the, the broad breadth of what is capable. Yeah, so I'm really I'm really really quite quite happy with that. I mean, just to give give the, give the people that are not as passionate about football as most of my listeners are, but you know, to give you an idea of, of what of what you're about as a referee, you were counted as one of the top 100 best referees of all time. Um, you know, you've, you've refereed FA Cup finals, you've, you've refereed European championships, you, you've advised kind of on the future of the game. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's amazing for me. And, and, and it takes me back to my childhood. You mentioned it there, Keith, but mm. you are the ref. You know, I, like, I remember those little snippets at the back of the newspaper and, and it kind of brought what you did to life. And, and I guess now we can hopefully use this podcast as well as talking about you know, what this means to football, we mm. can reach out to young and up-and-coming referees because without them, there is no game. What, what the game will be like, we don't know, but I coached for Fulham in development centres mm. over the years and, 
you know, respecting the official, you know, the, and everything there is so important. But, Keith, I mean, in terms of the the crisis, the impact of COVID, being completely like on a level, you're a Yorkshireman, you're from Sheffield, yeah, you're from yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think this will really mean to football? Well, I think it's put lots of clubs under a great deal of financial pressure. And, you know, I'm president of a local junior club, Pediston Church. We have 22 teams. Wow. Uh, we operate with a, a very tight budget. But we're fortunate that we've got more volunteers than we have players. And those volunteers from various walks of life have been really dynamic in this close down. We've had all sorts of ways of creating funding because even though we're not playing games, we have rates and rent and all other things to do with the club and, the, and all the revenue streams that we gain from a bar and, and a clubhouse, uh, all, all those were lost because of COVID. Yeah. And so there was that pause as, as to whether the season would in fact restart. Last year we came runners up in the league and we weren't promoted because only one team was promoted. We were in fourth position with a very easy, relatively easy running. So we had expectations of promotion. In that period, we've, we've already lost two players, frustrated that we're not playing at a high level. So there are all sorts of pressures. For the fan, you know, football is a religion. Yeah, it's yeah. a disease. Once we get it, out whatever area of the game, We've caught it and it's with us for the rest of our life. You know, as a youngster, my dad used to take me to Sheffield Wednesday, the city where I live, and I used to watch Sheffield Wednesday play. Uh, I watched Derek Dooley, who was an hero. I, I later on got to know him really well, and he didn't let me down. You know, you can have heroes. He did not let me down. And one of the things that I remember was, and that connection with football was that in 1979, I've jumped a long way in my career, and I won't go back. I was appointed to an FA Cup semi-final. Um, I was a young, very young referee, and it was Liverpool versus Arsenal at Hillsborough. And by then, the terraced houses where I'd lived had been raised to the ground, and my father had passed away. But for some unknown reason, I thought, right, I'm going to actually referee at Hillsborough for the first time. And, you know, this is the other side of the this is the passion coming through, yeah, yeah. you know. The time when you were a youngster, you got to the ground because your dad consumed another pint of beer and we arrived at five to three. And we were on top of the cops, so we, were, we would be almost skateboarded down on the tops of people's heads to the front. But I decided on that particular occasion to go to my home where I lived. And it was a, an open source space, park the car, walk to the stadium bag in hand, and people are going, aren't you refereeing today? Yeah. What are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm following no. the, you know, this is, this is my passion. And I refereed the football, Mike. It wasn't a great game. They drew. Um, but having said that, the guy came in and said, right, what's the fee? What's the fee? What's your expenses? It was zero. So I didn't have to charge for it. But, you know, that, that passion in, in, in refereeing has taken me... I started in 1960 in a local... Wow. Um, and I retired from active refereeing in about 1996. And I had 23 years on the, uh, 
on the on the top level of the game, the professional level of the game. My research assistant, Young Jack, told me you did the uh, 1981 FA Cup final. Was that when Rick Rick Villa scored the goal? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, oh, I've been, what are you doing when you're refereeing that and you're thinking, is he going to keep going? Surely, someone Roberts is going to take him out uh, or something like that. Well, the the, the facts were. It's interesting because you develop a style. I was always a referee that liked to play an advantage, and it got me out of trouble a lot. Uh, don't know, play on. Let him play, yeah. Play on, don't know. I haven't got a clue. Play on. And uh, and on that occasion, Via was fouled on his way, and, and fortunately, the whistle was nowhere near the mouth. And I, I sometimes look at it, and I, I go, wow, should it? Um, but, you know, it, that particular game summed up football for me, because you only get the FA Cup final once in, in a refereeing career. So I, in fact, had been appointed to the 81, did the first game. As I walked up the steps, I didn't know whether, in fact, I was going to be given the replay, 1-1 one, one draw. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but on that first occasion, Via was um, substituted. And I, I remember him dejectedly walking around the perimeter of the pitch. And, of course, in the second game, the replay, he scores the winning goal. I mean, it, it, it's football. We all live with ups and downs. We all live with dreams that, you know, our team's going to win the whatever the cup it is, whatever league it is. It's um, amazing we get disappointed. Get, to get those magical moments from the perspective of, of an official, you know, a referee, that, that's kind of just a, a different take on it because, I mean, I know, I know it's different now and we've perhaps come on to, you know, technology and everything there. But, you know, if a decision goes the other way, it can, it can change history. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it, yeah. It, history. I mean, I mean, I, I bumped into on a on a trip to Middlesbrough, and I always get full of into everything I do. But but it was there in the same trip to Middlesbrough. I bumped into Jeff Winter and Malcolm McDonald, right? Yes. And yes. Um, and obviously, I completely started talking to Malcolm McDonald about his time managing Fulham, and he was like, "I'll never forgive Derby fans." You know, they, yeah. they come up to the pitch. You know, that game was called. Yeah. Up early I remember. And, yeah. yeah. What would you have done? And 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 I was going. Do you know what's interesting is that year Fulham missed out on promotion. From League Two to so Div Two to Div yeah. One, as it was. Yeah. He obviously just stayed up mm. uh, from Division Two to Division Three. The next season, Fulham went down into obscurity. Yeah. Chelsea went up, and those, it's those moments that stopping the game early, and you know, you look back on it. But but I mean, you, you've been at the very height of football, so you've seen it from 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 that on the pitch perspective the passion of the fans the tension yeah. where you know everything there the managers the flat the, the whole intensity and you can never get it right because you're the ref so it doesn't matter what you do does it no. I, th I think you know i mean i said the other week that we in fact were in a privileged position because we had the best seat in the house you know and i've been lucky i've, I've shared uh, the football field with Iconic players over many years, you know, Maradona, Platini, uh, wow. you know, whoever, Kenny Dalglish. Um, and I, I, I go back to a, a story that I was telling and reminded of a, a few months ago because I was in Northern Ireland uh, at a dinner and, uh, and we got chatting and somebody asked me, had I ever refereed George Best? And you know, they presented me with a £5 note with George Best on it, which was really something that I've, I've gotten a treasure. And um, I said, yes, but sadly only once. And uh, that was at Stoke City. And there was a lot of doubt as to whether the game would go ahead. Um, 
But, you know, in, in that period of, of being on that pitch, you know, you look at today's modern players who play on carpets, beautiful playing surfaces, the ball bounces evenly, all the things that make life in refereeing easy. Whereas in those days, it was mud. And, yeah. and for a player like Best to actually stand out um, in conditions that were, you know, pretty dreadful, is quite remarkable. So those are, those are the things that you really enjoy. The banter with the fans, of course, they're going to have, they're going to be on your bike. But, but I think this, again, is one of the difficulties that's going to face referees in the coming weeks. You know, they're going to be, because of COVID, one of, the first thing is preparing is difficult. Yeah. For, fortunately, when I was the boss of the PGMOL, I brought in sports science. And so they have, they have their own fitness guy. And they operate through polar. They have to make certain tech. They have to like hit limit. They have to hit levels, don't they? Absolutely. Oh, for sure. And wearing the polar heart monitor gives uh, an absolute footprint of the training session they've done. So what happens is they do a training session at home, download it back to the sports scientist, and he can measure distances covered, speeds, and if they've actually done the training. You can't put it on the dog and say, go and run up that way yeah, yeah, yeah. and get the training in. So it's all um, encrypted to that that individual referee. Then this week, I, th I understand, done a fitness test, which is important to meet the standards. But in reality, the biggest, the biggest problems they've got is um, maintaining concentration, uh, maintaining, if you like, awareness of what's happening around them. And, of course, um, I'm sure the Premier League, hopefully, if they're proactive, will be saying to the managers and the players, look, guys, you've got to watch your language. Now, yeah. on the field of play, players will, you know, used to call me all, all the names under the sun. And, and equally, I might share some expletives with them in the form of managing players and managing people. Um, that, to some degree, is reduced that opportunity for the modern referee. With, with television covering it, with echoing in a stadium, and somebody having a go at the referee, that will emphasise it. With, with an empty stadium, modern TV, you know, I know what goes on. You know, it's, I mean, that, that's part of leading a team. It's part of challenging. And yeah. yes, people will overstep the mark. But, but I think, and, and I just want to go back here because this is really yeah. important. That George Best, your one-time George Best at Soak City. Could you please, please tell my listeners who he was playing for? He was playing for Fulham. Yes, and uh, and not Man United. And uh, they were playing Stoke. And he had it. He had it. You could recognise him, couldn't we? As fans, whoever we are around the world, there was an instant recognition of Best because he had a running style, and he and and. But his shoulder tended to be on level or slightly ahead of the ball. And he had this great thing of dipping his shoulder. And, and by reputation, defenders knew that they couldn't jump in. They couldn't dive in. And by reputation, you knew early on as a referee that you've got to be really aware to make certain that that first challenge didn't put him out of the game. Because... 
you know, when we look at football and we look at the, the need to win, the will to win, you're going to get times when the odd manager is going to be saying to the player, I'm not daft, he's going to be saying to the player, stop him. We have a player at Fulham right now, Tom Kearney, who's a creative player. Absolutely. You know, he's, he's a left footer, so he's, he's easy on the eye, but he's not, he struggled, and he'll be open with this, he struggled in the Premier League because of the physicality of it. You know, yeah. he didn't have that time, but in the Championship where he's got that time, He's a he's a he's kind of like a Platini type player. He could yeah. pull strings, do everything, score worldies, but ticks it all together. And he's one of those players that are captained by kind of being the best player rather than being the leader. Uh, Mitro, you'd say, would probably be your leader, but 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 I see it all the time. The the, the clever managers will try and take Kenny out of the game early because yeah. if he's gone, yeah. you know, we're, we're not the same team. So yeah. it's. It, you know, you have to have a handle that on the official. Well, I think, that, yeah, I think what's important here is that, you know, the modern referee has to actually understand the teams he's refereeing, the players who he's officiating, and the tactics likely to be employed. The reason we went professional was, one, to get fitter, to employ and bring sports psychology and all sports science into it, nutrition, to make certain they were fitter, because they needed to do on average, 11,500 metres a game, and they needed to do 1,000 metres at seven metres per second to be in contact with the game. Yeah. Um, and therefore, part of that additional process is how you can use psychology and your body language to improve your communication with players, but also that awareness tactically of what is going to happen. You, you know full well that sometimes if, if you're – if you're refereeing top of the league and bottom of the league, right, and and the bottom of the leagues and, and the away team, you know full well that that the first line of tactic that the manager is going to employ is one of delay, time consuming. How far can I stretch the delay before a free kick is taken? Oh, I've got a, a corner kick. I'll place the ball. I'll replace it. Or I'll take the ball forward a couple of yards at a free kick just to get the referee interfering. And sadly, some referees don't pick that up. Whereas mm. some, I say to younger referees, look, when you see the tactics of time delay, right? One, yeah, you can always add on time. They don't enough, but you can. But get involved and just don't ignore it. Ignore it. If, if, if they take the ball a meter forward, play continues. You know, yeah, it's not taken from the right spot, but that's the really interesting point, right? Because I, I see the players putting it forward. I feel that that can't make any difference to that pass. That makes yeah. no difference at all. It's actually a worse angle. Yeah. So what you're saying there is, a go on then, stick or twist. Go on then, take it from there, and we're playing yeah, on. Exactly. That, that, that's why I like. See, this is why it's great because I, I'm a, I'm a passionate football fan. I played football. And I would be at a completely different level. I'd be in the ref's ear role, but I'd be the most politest, annoying person ever. So if I if I failed, I'd say sorry. It was always someone else's fault. And I always shook hands afterwards. But but that's just a, such a such a great example. But going on to the, the restart, all right? Yes. Now, I've asked every guest on my show, and they're football fans, not from the professional world of football. And if they are Liverpool, they want to play on. If they're Leeds, they yeah. definitely want to yeah, play yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm if Fulham hadn't lost to your neighbours Barnsley twice, Rock Bottom Barnsley, yeah. those six points would have probably put us in the mix. Well, yeah. we're clearing third, it would have put us right in with West Brom and Leeds and we're playing them. Yeah. But I'm looking at it and thinking, uh, you know, maybe we have to try and play again if we're gonna get up, right? But then 
if someone had said to me and they said, Peter, there's been a worldwide pandemic. You know, we're in lockdown. Hundreds of thousands of people across the world are losing their lives or, you know, they're affected by this. We're going to null and void the season. I would have gone, that's a shame, but kind of got over it and, and moved on. Mm. Do you believe, Keith, and there's no right or wrong, mate, it's just an honest question. Are we doing the right thing, putting this behind closed doors, sticking it on the telly? And is that right? Is it fair? Is it being led by media or money? What's your view on it, Keith, from the kind of the inside? Well, I, I really do have mixed views. I think, first of all, if a team's going to win the competition, then ideally I think they've got to win it, having played the entire season. Because the horse is still running. Yeah. yeah I get it. I do think uh, promotion and relegation, it, it appears they're working it now, could have, could be resolved on a, a, a mini tournament within a closed, closed, closed environment. I think that's important. Um, I think we'll lose some atmosphere. And of course, in Germany, where they've restarted behind closed doors, they've had a massive increase in injuries, which could be a risk um, going forward. You don't want to, you know... We can smile, but we don't. One, we don't want anybody losing their life because of the virus. But neither do we want them losing the career because yeah. of an injury, because they're not fully attuned, fully fit, and all prepared for it. it it's a different game, and uh, we'll recognise it. But it fills a gap because how many times can you play? Whatever you're watching on television, play it again, play it again. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Fulham have given us the option that you know you could have your season ticket transferred to an online pass. You could mm. defer it. They've done the best they can because yeah. only so many yeah. games will be on Sky and whatever. I completely understand it. I actually believe that the future of football will be you know your a season ticket to watch on the telly through your own club. I'm the I'm a fan that wants to go home. I want to go away, yeah. and that, you're never going to take that. But I think um, Luis Enrique, or it was one of the Barcelona boys, said, "You know, football without the fans is like dancing with your sister at a wedding. It's, yeah. it's it doesn't feel uh, right, and, yeah. and we don't have a choice. It's going to happen." Yeah. Do you? I mean, I, and I don't know because I Fulham are not the most ferocious of home crowds, right? Mm. We're we're a mm. nice club. Sometimes when we go away or the away fans come. They can make our defender make a mistake in the last minute and we give away an equaliser or we, we get... I mean, I remember a game um, when the year we went up, we were away at St Andrews and Birmingham had to win to stay up and if we'd have won and Neil Warnock's Cardiff had lost, we might have got into second. We were beaten before the game because the, the crowd was ferocious, you know. We yeah. were beaten. Yeah. Um, do you think for a club like Fulham or, I don't know, a, a real passing sort of possession, you know, easy on the eye team, will they benefit from no crowd? Would, would that help them or would it make absolutely no difference because the players shut it out anyway? I, I don't believe players shut it out. Um, I think as a referee, we hear the, the noise and in fact it, it, it raises the adrenaline. And I think that's what the players will miss, this adrenaline rush. You know, at the end of the day, that glory run, deserves the cheer that it gets. And and uh, I do think that fans are the 12th man. I have no doubts about that. You know, if, if you go and you've got passionate fans, um, they'll make the noise. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll whether you've got the big drum or whatever you've got, the bell or, or whatever, it does have an impact. And therefore, I think that is the big miss. The big miss is, is the fans. I think it also we, we might we might get fictitious results here in terms of relegation in the Premier League 
just you know you take you take a club like Bournemouth that was struggling, right? They've effectively had okay, not three months to recover. They've had three months to recover with the long injury list that they had. Yeah. So they so all these clubs that were struggling through injury are going to come back better because they've got those full squads available to them. Um, so I, I think it will be a one-off season where forever fans will say, well, if Liverpool win it, yeah, you won it, but it wasn't really a win. Liverpool were like miles clear at the yeah. top and they're going to win it unless they don't turn up, right? And you've got Leeds who almost come in. Yeah, they've got a very good chance. There's no guarantee. Yeah, as I tell, as I tell the Leeds fans, yeah. there's 27 points to play for. You know, you all got to play each other, and it's the championship. But they're in a good position to at least hit the playoffs. It's quite surreal. <laughs> you know, it, if it does happen for them both, you know, their fans will have to celebrate in a very different way. Yeah, and that's, yeah. That, that, that's kind of, that doesn't make it as special, does it? No, for I, me, I think it's, I think it's uh, an indifferent season, isn't it? It's something that will hopefully. We will look back on and say this was different, and it and it's certainly different. And uh, you know, there's all sorts of uh, connotations that we can discuss in in terms of the teams, the position, the players, you know, the the extended contracts. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I think this has been a big tough decision for the Premier League because you know they've got owners who are multimillionaires can call upon the best lawyers in the world to fight their corner whenever. That's one pressure. You've got the television companies with contracts for huge amounts of money. So there, there's this there's this pressure on them to make these judgments on the 20 shareholders. And within that group of 20 shareholders, they're the clubs that own the, the Premier League. Uh, they've no doubt you've got some who wanted it carrying on, some who wanted it closing immediately. Uh, you know, and I think this is the these are the complications of of the game uh, that we see in front of us. It, you know, the, at the professional level. Bring that back because, like you said, you are a fan. If Sheffield wins these last few games, are going to be on the telly. You're going to be watching them as well, aren't you? Because you 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 can't not. No. I mean, I've moaned about it, said I don't like it, said it's ruining football. But Fulham are playing. I'll be watching. In, in whatever way way I can yeah, watch. For the players, it's going to be different. That's the beauty, yeah. beauty of what makes yeah. football so special. And Keith, I mean, I mean yeah, we, 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 we're getting through the podcast and you've, you've told me you've been on the same pitch as Maradona, Platini, Dalglish and Best, right? Yeah. You're talking about some of the, the greatest of all time. We've got something prepared for you. Um, it's a Boyne Jones penalty shootout. Now, I normally ask my guests questions that are kind of about why they support their club and stuff, but I'm going to invite young Jack over because he's on work experience. He's got he's got three questions for you, Keith, okay. right? So it's uh, it's Boyne Jones penalty shootout. So we get a little drum roll. This is Jack. Hi, Jack. Jack, so Keith Hackett, one of the best referees of all time. You can ask the first three questions to him, mate. Number one, go. Right, number one is... What was the worst team to referee for you? That's an easy one. That was uh, West Ham United versus Nottingham Forest. It was an FA Cup semi-final. And uh, on the Thursday before, the law had been changed in relation to denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. And in the game on the Sunday at Aston Villa, Tony Gale committed a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. Off he went. 
Um, absolutely ruined the game. And I came, okay. oh, I came off. Yeah, I came off that pitch absolutely dejected. First time ever, I was at the bottom because if that had happened one week before, Tony Gale wouldn't even been spoken to. I'd have given the free kick and moved out of the way. Uh, but now the lawmakers had decided that for most of the season we'd been applying the denial of an ob obvious goal-scoring opportunity incorrectly. And this is, we were told on the Thursday at Coventry, this is how we would apply it. And I was Aunt Sally, there in the middle, it happened, he had to go. And I remember a guy from the FA in the car park came coming up to me because I was, I threw the bag in the, I was really, really unhappy. And uh, he came up to me and said, well, the one pleasing part, Mr. Hackett, is you followed the, the protocols of Dogzo. And I looked at him like daggers and he goes, if you hadn't have done, you'd have been suspended. And I looked at him and I went, well, you have no heart and no place in football, mate. And I just <laughs> drove off. So I was, that's, uh, that was the worst game. Number two. So uh, what is the best player you've seen on a pitch while you're refereeing? I'm going to surprise you here because it's Kenny Dalgleish, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. Because every game that I refereed, and I refereed Liverpool a lot, one hundred percent, absolutely one hundred percent. And I go back. I had uh, I'd been out at Juventus to referee Juve, and um, the president of the club, Agnelli, who owned Ferrari, called me into a room and said, "Look, how is John Charles?" going and that week I'd learned that John Charles had gone bankrupt and I sort of said look it's interesting I'm not a Leeds fan but I had read that he'd gone bankrupt and uh, two weeks later I was refereeing uh, Leeds United in a testimonial match of which Patini and others came to play organized by Juve and in that game Dalgleish played uh, for Leeds United and in the closing minutes of the game, he was covered in sweat, Dalgleish. He puts the ball out to the left wing to a young player who'd come on, just to to say that he played in the game. And the player didn't go for the ball. And, and I can tell you, as we're walking towards the tunnel, having blown the whistle and everything, I'm having to park Kenny Dalgleish. And because Dalgleish is fuming that he didn't run for the ball. Dalgleish. Fair play. Penalty number three, Jack, your last right, one. The last one is, what is your all-time favourite player? Oh. Well, yeah, I, I, I've, I've seen lots of class players. Um, I think one of the players that I really liked and a player that, that few get, I refereed on the North American Soccer League for about eight weeks. Uh, I did 30 games. And I'll tell you a story. One of the guys I'd watched lift the World Cup was Carlos Alberto, Brazil. Yeah. And I'm in Lincoln Tunnel in a taxi and we're stuck. The queue. And I've got to go to Giant Stadium to referee New York Giant, New York Cosmos versus the uh, uh, Vancouver Whitecaps. And a guy runs past the car, the cab, right? The taxi driver, Hispanic, gets out. He's shouting and everything. All of a sudden, I, the guy comes up, walks around the taxi cab. The taxi driver's open the door. And who gets in? 
Carlos Alberto. He was, he was wow. stuck like me in the tunnel, worried about the kickoff. And the taxi driver said, Mr. Alberto, it's no problem. This is the referee. The game oh, my God. So, Carlos. Oh, that's a great freak. Keith, I've got, I've got two for you, right? Okay. So, the first one, and uh, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure you're allowed to answer it. Um, out of all the managers, you know, that you've, you've that have been on the side, the sides, who's been the manager that's given you the most earache during a match? Like, really just will not shut up. The, the biggest pain as a manager. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think Ferguson used to give us all a, a, a bit of stick because it was his very nature. But all I would do would run the other side of the pitch out of his way. So he was shouting. I used to do that with the parents when I was doing it. Shouting shout to air. Uh, you know, I think, I think most managers during the course of the match, whoever they are, will have a go at the referee because they'll be frustrated. Either you've missed the decision, which you probably have, or you're, you're holding up play and allowing defenders to get back. So I think there are, there are lots of uh, players. The managers, I, I used to like Terry Venables, you know, because he would say it as it, as it is. Uh, when I, I left the game, the, the, there were two managers I really admired, and they were different. And that one was Al Allardyce, Sam Allardyce, because one of my first meetings, I took over the PGMOL job, and I thought, I'm going to talk to some managers. I picked uh, uh, Sam Allardyce. I went to uh, Chorley, where their training ground was, and started talking. And he said to me, what you've got to do, Keith, is you've got to bring in sports science, nutrition. You ought to have this product called Prozone that tells all the players. And, and that was a really good, good comment. With, uh, with Wenger, I'd, I'd asked to see Wenger, and Wenger said, I don't want to know anything about referees. I'm the manager of the team. But I then got David Dean a director to say, look, I need to speak to him just to have words and debate. And I went to see him um, and they played Bolton the Saturday before and lost. Bolton was, is Arsenal's like bogey team. They really got a stuff in from him and, uh, and a little bit kicked off the park in truth. I wasn't the referee and I said that to the referee afterwards. I thought he allowed too much. But anyhow, so I'm in front of Wenger, and Wenger is telling me right what I should do. And he then said to me, how much the referee is there? And I go, well, 43,000 is the basic. Wow. That is not bad, is it? This is about the equivalent of some of my players. And I go, just a minute. I'm talking about 43,000 a year. I don't even know that here. And he just smiled. Keith, what I would say, what I would say there, you skillfully answered that question, sir. Well done. You know, you did not get drawn. I like that. Okay, so I've got one which takes me back to my childhood. Fulham were in the lower leagues, and you know, I used to watch match of the day, and you know, and, and there when I was about fifteen or sixteen years old in the 1990 to what ninety one season. You know what I'm going to say? There was a brawl between Manchester United yeah. and Arsenal. And uh, I understand you might have been the referee, Kate. Is that correct? No, it wasn't me. You got the wrong way. Wasn't that me? <laughs> the, the truth is, absolutely. Um... So, so my question is, Keith, and it's not about that. Uh, I'd like to know who is a referee you thought was the instigator. 
Like, like that one little person that lit the torch and then ran away or no player. Uh, well I, I learned afterwards when i looked at the video that it was uh it happened before between uh winterburn and uh mcclair there was some lift, oh, wow. leftovers from a previous game i was not aware of that um and uh, and, he, and the game was going okay. It was a bit tough. It was a challenge. I, I let the game flow in the usual manner, and then all of a sudden it blew up. And I've got like twenty-one out of twenty-two, and I'm I'm blowing. I'm trying to get in between. I had this habit of stepping in and pulling and pushing and hauling players away. Um, a lot of my colleagues thought that was the wrong thing to do, and they're probably right. But I just passionate get in, get it sorted. And then I look and I go, I'm thinking to myself, if I send one off, I should be sending <laughs> 10 off. And I just step back and I'm thinking, well, I'm going to take one on the chin here. And I said to the captains, I pull them over and said, look, I'm going to take it on the chin here because all my all the people at control. Who were the captains? Robson was one. And I said, look, I'm going to get pulled over here big time. Um, and I did it quietly. I didn't do it too publicly, to be honest. Um, and I'm going to take it. So now they've got to calm down and get on with it, which they did. But, uh, I, I went to the hearing. Uh, I was asked, having looked at the video, you know, would I have taken different action? I said, well, do you want me fair or unfair? Because if I send one off, I send 21 off. Because there's only the goalkeeper. That's one of the goalkeepers thinks David Seaman had not joined in. I said, so as a result, I want to be fair to myself. And I can leave this room satisfied in the knowledge that I handle the situation. And, and if, yeah, if I reviewed it with the knowledge I've got now, Winterburn and McClare would have gone off. I was saying to Jack when we were talking about the questions, I was at school. And I remember, like you know, the, the the papers. It was front page, second page, back page. It was, it was just one of those because they were the two teams then, you know. Yeah, and yeah. it was, um, it's interesting that it was the Winterburn Brian McLaren nickel because they were both fiery little players. Yes, absolutely. They? And um, yeah, it did make the headlines. And I can remember being asked many, many questions by the media, uh, getting the instruction not to say anything. But then I didn't always follow procedures. And so I just, you know, my stop, my stop line was, yeah, you're going to say, and if you're a referee, you would say that you would, should have sent someone off. But in reality, you tell me which players you would have sent off, given that I've only seen it once, given that it happened outside my eye line, and by the time I've got there, I've got 21 players involved. And I'm not going to guess. And if I start guessing as a referee then I'll tell you what, you can have my whistle. That is the end of probably our best ever penalty shootout of Foy Jones. It was absolutely brilliant. But almost seamlessly, you've mentioned a couple of things in that last answer, which I want to end the podcast on, right? So, so you've mentioned I couldn't see it and you've mentioned fact, all right? So that, that brings us straight into one of the biggest talking points of the world. There was two talking points in the world, in our society, pre-March, and that was Brexit, it was VAR. and uh, So, VAR gives you facts, all right? Honestly, Keith, for you as a referee, is it a good thing for football or a bad thing? Right, let, me, let me give you a bit of an insight. Look, in my career, I might have three cameras at the match, or if I'm refereeing a, 
European game, I might have 70 odd. But every day of a, of a Premier League game, there's a minimum of 22 cameras. And the process of a referee is this. First, see, you then recognise, you think, and then you act. That's the process of a referee. And when I've examined thousands and thousands of referees' errors as the boss of the PGMOL, it was because they didn't see. Invariably, they're caught out. And 22 cameras at a Premier League game expose, expose the referee openly to that error. So to cover that and understanding that I'm a firm believer of, of technology. One, I introduced buzzer flags. I introduced the communication kits. I've talked to you about goal line technology. Goal line technology, Mohammed Al Fayed. What's yeah. the part story? Is that that's a podcast of its own? VAR. It's got to be. Now, for some unknown reason, the boss of the PGMOL, Mike Riley, is operating it differently to other countries. First of all, to get accuracy on goal line technology, I had to have cameras at 500 frames per second not the 50 frames per second, which is traditional broadcast speed. We're operating, and that was just to determine a ball has crossed the line or not. What we've got here is, and I'm talking, first of all, on offside, so I've gone into the detail. We've got a guy who's going to play the ball, so we need to see him. We need to understand that the player who's receiving the ball, right, it can be an offside position, but he's not offside until he's active, or if he's interfering with play, there's delay. So by the time it's played, the ball, and by the time it arrives, right, a number of frames could be, uh, have, have been run through. And then what you've got, if you look at the timing element, you're going to take three frames and you're going to pick one. So for me, Get rid of the lines until you can guarantee me the technology that's the same as goal line technology. Go with a second look by an experienced assistant referee, trust him. He's going to improve the accuracy of one that's missed on the field. Now we get to other incidents, and that is I am appalled by the use of VR and the way we're using it in England because we're taking away the authority of the referee we're actually yeah. saying yeah. you in a room 100 miles away you make a decision and i'm telling you no fan no referee and no player and manager will buy into that from my perspective sorry mate you, you're wearing black green red whatever you wear nowadays it's not all black. you're never you're never right because right. you're the ref but, but but that one that one thing that i think is wrong this is a fan talking fundamentally if the, if the match referee has the final decision, whether they, they get their input from the studio, from, from, from wherever it is, yeah, from 100 mile away, 10 mile away, the, the, their, their fourth official who's watching it, they get all that in, but it's their decision. They can advise, but the ref's their decision. I think you then take away, you take away a load of controversy because you are in charge, your decision. That, that's how I would see the evolution. I actually believe we have to embrace the technology um no you don't like that oh my god yes we've scored no we haven't you don't no. like that and and we may keith lose those aguero moments so we don't want no, to lose no. those moments no i think it? i think that the better we get at it 
you know, I think that what I'll tell you what's slowing it up, in my opinion, and it is the the, the guy who's working the television screens. Because what I'd like is I'd like one screen into quartiles, and one of those quartiles plays three or seven seconds delay. So I'm looking as a referee, VAR, and I'm going, wow, I've got what's the referee done, and now I can have another look. And then I can say to the referee, you need to look at it. And that should be the process. And the referee then has got to determine, I'm going to go across and have a look or not. But when he makes his call, I prefer him to go across. Now, the old scenario is, I can remember being at Fulham uh, in one evening talking about goal line technology to a, 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 an audience of uh, uh, journalists, uh, putting forward my views on goal line technology and the reason for it. And in that time, I also answered a question about timing. We're the, we are a sport that is relying on one guy in the middle controlling the amount of time that he's played or allowed. And for me, we need to take that away from him. So yeah. he shouldn't have to worry about time. He should have the time to be able to go and have a look at the screen. And yeah, it's a different game. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we want the right decision. At the moment, we've seen VAR in at the Premier League level. And actually, the level of accuracy is nowhere near what our expectation should be. We do better. It's not going to go away. We've got to make it work. All right. Keith, I just want to, first of all, I'm going to thank you again. This has been a pleasure to have one of the most well-known referees of all time. You know, you are the ref. You are Keith Hackett. Uh, Let's just talk about some predictions for the end of the season. So how do you think the Premier League will finish up, top and bottom? Uh, Well, I I think if we take a snapshot now, I think we know that Liverpool is going to win the league. Uh, I think there's obviously the fight for Champions League places. The surprise package has been the other team at the other end of the road here at Sheffield. But it's not been a surprise to me because I'm telling you that Wilder is an outstanding manager. Why Fulham let Oliver Norwood go when we got promoted? Um, spent hundreds of million pound, of pounds to make our team worse, to watch him do what he's done. I, I sit there questioning whatever, but I agree with you. What I, I was asked, we were doing a podcast halfway through the season, and they said, who's impressed you most? I went Chrissy Wilder. Well, if you look at the clubs he's been to, even, you know, I visited Halifax a, a couple of years ago, and, and he'd been a manager there, and they were absolutely over them. They were, they were, he was like God. And, and he's actually a, a basic guy, you know. He'll, he'll go for a pint. I mean, I watched the celebrations. I don't believe like, he's, just, he's just an old guy. But see, he comes on. I hear him and he comes on and he says it as it is. He doesn't con the fan. He doesn't say, oh, well, we've played brilliantly, but we've just had a, you know, we're unlucky. He, he doesn't go into that mode. He, he just says, this player could have played better. Liverpool getting out of title. Sheffield United, the surprise package. Who do you think's looking downwards? Who's, who's going to be I dropping down? I think the three down? that's there at the moment. I think, I think you're probably right. So that leads us on perfectly to my, my, my situation, Keith. All right. So there's 27 points to play for. Um, this is Fulham's... In that mix of fixtures, we've got to play Brentford, which... 
if the fans were there, would have been yeah. a tough game yeah, yeah. for the fourth. Without the fans, I don't know. I generally don't know. We've got to go to Ellen Road without the fans. That's yeah. a nicer trip. Um, West Brom, we're going there. We're playing Forest. So we're playing all the teams around us. And I'm a realistic Fuller fan. We come, we could come first, second, or ninth. Who knows? That's what we've got in our in our locker. Who do you think will go up automatically? And do playoffs matter with no crowd? I mean, again, let's just give us your take on that. Well, I think the championship is the most difficult league in the world to predict because I think almost every team can play and win each and lose the same teams. Um, so uh, for me, I'll be, I will be surprised if Leeds United don't go up. And, and, and so I, I see them. Um, West Brom, I, th I think, are a strong team. I think, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about, you know, the parachute payments and, and all that, that, that benefits the players, but it, it actually, it, 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 there's a lack of fairness in, in the scheme to some degree. Because it allows a team that's come down from the Premier League to have a better squad than, than the rest of it. So it may start off with an advantage to some degree. It doesn't always work. It, it goes the other way. Um, I've watched Fulham a couple of times, and I'm, I'm like you. I, I, you know, Fulham have got a reputation for playing football. They, 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 they're not like uh, long ball specialists. They just like to keep it on the on the floor and play. I can remember, I think it might have been two, three seasons ago, my, two of my grandson are Barnsley fans. And uh, and I've sat there watching Barnsley and everybody's saying, what are you doing here? But in reality, they played Fulham that day. And Fulham ran them off the park and beat them comfortably, playing fantastic football. So I, I would like to see, and not because... You're a Fulham fan. I'd like to see a Fulham come up to the Premier League because I think it enhances the league. Do you know, do you know when we came up under John Tigana, you know, we it was a dream come true for me. I mean, I never ever dreamt, you know. I mean, I still look back to I saw Fulham and Juventus yeah, on the yeah. same scoreboard, yeah. right? I never thought I'd see that in my life. And we yeah. beat them, and you know, you know about their journeys, but but we kind of got a bit used to it. We spent 13 seasons up there and then you know, through 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 bad leadership and you know ownership of the club, the management decisions, we went down and that moment when we we beat Villa at Wembley and we and we won the playoff. You know, that was I, the nearest I got to Wembley. We've been there in '75. I was three yeah, months old, so yeah, I didn't yeah. make it. Keith. So the nearest I got was Wembley Sunday Market for my nan and granddad. I've, ne I've yeah. seen them play, but never Fulham. So I genuinely didn't believe Fulham had forty thousand fans in the world. But we have because they were yeah. all there that day and we won. Now, no one can take that moment away from me. It's not my best Fulham moment. My best Fulham moment is away at Carlisle in 1997 when Mickey Adams and a team yeah. of average players, you know, Carlisle had to win to, or draw to go up and we went one down. We had to get four points. Young trainee Rodney Macquarie scored a weldy. We won 2-1. That's my best ever moment because we got promoted away at Mansfield. But... That Wembley emotion was magnificent and we returned to the Premier League. If we miss the top two and we go to the playoffs, that's great. But I, I don't know if this is true. You might know more than me. But they're saying that they will play the playoff games, home and away, as normal, and still go to Wembley for the playoff final with no fans. 
Is that is that true? Dave? I think that I think there's at uh, one stage I thought they would play most of the games at Wembley. I could get that as, as a whole for thing, security reasons and, and and all that goes with it. I think you know this is why I think they've been hesitating around the Liverpool scenario because they know that they're going to get fans around the outside of the stadium that that might create yeah. problems logistically. But you know, at the end of the day, let's follow the tradition because you know, however you look at it, the players want to play at Wembley. I've played at an empty Craven Cottage, right? And I've played at an empty Emirates. And like, uh, yeah, I, I'm a fan, so it's a dream come true. So, so, so I guess you're right. And it's just, uh, it, we're in, Keith, listen, let, let's end the podcast, yeah, right. man. It's been, it's been an absolute, we're in, we're in a changing world. The world's changed forever. Football's changed forever. Um, refereeing's changed forever. But Keith Hackett, you are a gentleman. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Jack. Jack what Thanks, Peter. Thanks, you know, you've got, you've got three generations. We've got Keith in the 70s, me in my 40s. You've got Jack right. in his late teens. We all love football. Keith, can I ask a huge yeah. favour? Um, when the season eventually wraps up, can oh, I get you back pleasure. on to do a little Oh, mate, honestly, I'm just going to... Keith, thank you so much. This is the end of the Point Jones show. This is by far my favourite ever podcast. Thank you so much, Keith. Thanks, Peter. So that's the end of the show. We're Foyn Jones. Stay safe, keep healthy, be positive, because together we will get through this.